If you are new, my name is Byron. I get the honor to be able to serve as the lead pastor. And I am so excited about today because today we are celebrating two things. Number one, it's Christmas, which means it's Jesus' birthday. Can we say happy birthday, Jesus? But we got something else also special today because it is Baptism Sunday. Who's excited? Come on. Man. And what is better than celebrating baptisms uh, around Christmas time? Because Christmas is a time that Jesus is born and baptisms signify people being born again. Isn't that amazing that just as Jesus was born, we get to be born again. As Jesus gives us his life, we get to give our lives to Jesus. And so in just a moment, we're going to dismiss those who are getting baptized. You've already signed up. You're registered. And so we're going to dismiss you in just a moment. But first, I want to address maybe some people in the room who are not signed up yet. You, you didn't sign up for a couple reasons. One, because you go to redemption and you forgot. Um, and so you're wondering, I didn't sign up. Oh my, I knew something important. I forgot to sign up. Is it too late? No, it's not too late. We got you covered. We thought about it because we know you would have forgot about it. So, so number one. Number two, maybe you're on the fence. You're like, oh man, like I, I've been following Jesus, but I haven't been baptized. I'm not sure if I'm ready to be baptized. I want to be baptized. Well, guess what? Today is going to be your day. And so we want to help you take that next step in following Jesus. But there's another group and you're here and you're not yet a Christian. And you're like, where am I at? I'm a skeptic. I, I want to believe, but I don't believe. And today, I just want you to know we're so glad you're here. I have a message today. I'm going to preach the gospel. You're going to understand who Jesus is and why we do what we do. And by the end of this, if you give your life to Jesus today, how amazing would it be that you are born again on Jesus' birthday? How amazing would that be? And somebody asks you, they're like, what did you become a Christian. Um, me and Bert, Jesus share the same birthday. That would be amazing, right? And so we're going to give you that opportunity. So I'm going to dismiss those who are being baptized. If you have signed up or didn't sign up, but you would like to be baptized today, I'm going to count to, the, to, to three, and I'm going to give you the permission to stand up and head to the back. But before I do that, let me speak to our church. So Baptism is not just for those who are getting in the water, but it's for those of us who call redemption home. It's not just for the new believer, but it's for the body of Christ to celebrate life change through Jesus. And here's why baptism is important. It's the death, burial, and the resurrection that Jesus lived, he died, and he rose again. And when you step in those waters, what you're saying is my old life is gone and buried, and I have been raised to new life with Jesus both now and forevermore. It is an outward sign of an inward change. It's an outward devotion or it's an outward display of an inward devotion. It's telling the world that you love Jesus and you're going to live for him. That's what baptism is. And so we're excited to celebrate baptisms today, right? And so we're going to cheer. We're going to celebrate. Y'all ready? Well, let me just give you a practice. Let's say somebody's getting baptized. What are you going to do, church? 
There we go. I love the 11, the 8, 9, 30. Haven't had their coffee yet, but you guys are caffeinated and filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. All right. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to dismiss. Ready? If you're here to be baptized today, I'm going to count to three, and I want you to get up and to go, and your church is going to celebrate with you. Ready? One, two, three. Go and be baptized. Come on. Look around the room getting up. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Incredible. Well, if you have your Bibles, open up with me to the book of Matthew chapter 1. We're continuing in our sermon series, the, the, the Vintage Christmas Sermon Series. And the title for today is The Greatest Gift Ever Given. Ever, right? You got to put that little extra emphasis on it. The best gift ever. I was thinking about it this week and I was kind of asking like, what is the best gift that I've ever received? Now for me, I'm not a very sentimental person. Okay. I don't even remember what Ashley gave me last year. I know that broke her heart just now. And so I'm so sorry, babe. The first couple services, they laughed, but you're in the room. So it's awkward now. Um, (laughs) But I'm not a sentimental person. So I had to really think about it. And so I went over to my Nana's house and she showed me this picture. And I remember this one. Look at this. Talk about a vintage Christmas. <laughs> look, hey, if you're under, look at that. If you're under the age of 30, that was our TVs back then, okay? And look at those wood paneling walls. Boomers, what were you thinking? Wood paneling walls, but it's okay. All the millennials, your kids are going to laugh at your shiplap one day, all right? And so, but that's my vintage Christmas, okay? And I remember that Christmas because I got a Super Nintendo. Anybody remember Super Nintendo, right? Oh, man, I loved Mario. I loved uh, Yoshi. I I loved uh, being able to play uh, Street Fighter, not at my house because I was raised in a Christian home. Uh, So I would go to my neighbor's house and play Street Fighter. Come on, somebody, right? I, lo- I loved that. It was one of my best memories. But, but it's not, I couldn't imagine that that would be the greatest gift ever given. So I really started thinking about it. Like what would, what, what's the most lavish, the most extravagant gift that's ever been given? And so I looked it up online just to try to have something to say interesting at the beginning of the sermon. And I found some things to share with you. Uh, the, the first one that I found that was interesting is that the Statue of Liberty is actually a gift from the French. Uh, and so imagine opening that, trying to get that under a Christmas tree, okay? Um, right? I mean, so thank you to the French. Thank you for the Statue of Liberty. And thank you for your fries. They're amazing. Um, here, here's another one. Uh, Elizabeth Taylor, her husband, in the 1960s, she is a, um, is this, is something bouncing? Can you hear it in my microphone? Yeah, can we get, figure this out or give me a handheld? or something. So, um, so anyway, back to the sermon. Uh, I just keep hearing boom, boom, boom behind me. And so I'm not sure what's going on. Uh, what? I'm good. I do. Okay. Well, never mind then. I just ruined this beginning. Okay. (laughs) I don't know what it is. Anyway. All right. ADD brain squirrel. All right. Um, So here we go. Uh, Elizabeth Taylor, her her husband gave her a $6.6 million diamond necklace. Woo. And you know what she did? She divorced him. Um, But don't worry, they got got remarried later. And then she divorced him again. Um, And so so there's that. Um, And then here's one that I found. Uh, Mike Tyson bought his wife a 
$2.2 million gold bathtub. Because how could you live without one, right? And so I was thinking about like, like those are some extravagant gifts. But are those the best gifts ever given? As Christians, we would know that that's not the case. Because we tend to view gifts not in the same way that the world would view, tend to view gifts. Like when it comes to the subject of Christmas and gifts, we don't focus on um, things that money could buy or materialism or greed. No, we focus on the greatest gift that's ever been given. The gift that was given 2,000 years ago, the gift of Emmanuel, God with us. And that's what we're going to look at today. If you have your Bibles, we're in Matthew chapter 1. I'm going to read it all up front, the classic Christmas story, and then we'll explain on the back end. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, and she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. I want you to look down at that last line right there. What does it say? Jesus. It literally means that he will save us from our sins. That is the greatest gift that has ever been given. It is more costly than gold. It is more precious than silver or diamonds. It is more worthy than anything else that anyone could ever buy or provide or give. It's the greatest gift because it's Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And it's the gift that keeps on giving because God gives us Jesus, which gives us grace and hope and mercy, salvation, redemption, God's plan for restoration and new life, both now and forevermore in the kingdom that is yet to come. Isn't that an amazing gift? That's the best gift for God so loved the world that he what? Gave. The greatest gift we have is right here, Emmanuel, God with us. It's the gift that God gives. This is why we're doing the Vintage Christmas Sermon Series, because we want to reorient our hearts around Jesus, the real reason for this season, this Christmas. We want to have a Christ-centered Christmas, so that way we can celebrate it the way that God always intended for us to celebrate. And over the course of this series... I've given you some big ideas to help you focus on Christ this Christmas. The, the first big idea was this, is less junk, more joy. Because we're not going to be caught up in the consumerism, the materialism, but rather we're going to focus on the miracle that is Christmas. And so and remember, it's called joy to the world, not joy from the world. So where are you getting your joy from this Christmas? The second thing is we're going to worry less and we're going to worship more. Because there's a lot of reasons for us to worry, amen? 
We could worry about a lot of things, things that we can't change, but instead we're going to worship the God who was and is yesterday, today, and forever, the God who does not change. We're not going to look at our circumstances, but we're going to worship him despite whatever season we find ourselves in. So we're going to choose to, to worry less and magnify the Lord and worship more. Number three, last week we talked about less hustle, more holy. That it's called the holidays for a reason. So we want to keep Christ in Christmas and we want to keep the holy in the holidays. We're not going to get caught up on running here and running there to where Christmas passes us by without actually being able to savor and to enjoy it. Because if the devil can't deceive you, he's going to distract you. So that way you miss out on the best thing God ever gave. And so we're going we're gonna to slow down. We're going to reflect and we're going to remember, hey, it's okay to spend time in prayer and solitude and resting and enjoying, savoring this moment. And then that leads us to the thought today is less presence, more presence. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're like, but I already bought all my kids their Christmas presents. Does this mean I have to take them back? Thanks, Pastor. <laughs> no, that's not what I'm talking about. No, my kids are still going to have gifts under the tree. But my daughter, Ruth, she's four. And I asked her, I said, baby, why do we celebrate Christmas? And she said, presents. And I was like, wrong. <laughs> um, no, because even as a little kid, like, we can get caught up in the, the greed and the consumerism and the wants and the needs and all the presents and we can miss out on what's the most important thing, Emmanuel, God with us, missing his presence in the midst of it all. And so what I want to do for the remainder of the sermon today is I want to help you focus on God's presence this Christmas. It is the greatest gift after all, Emmanuel, God with us. So I'm going to take that word, and I'm just going to break it down into three different categories so you can better understand that Jesus is God, Jesus is God with, and Jesus is God with us. Us. The first thing we'll see is that, is that Jesus is God. Now, there's some people, maybe some of you in the room, who you're going to say, well, I just don't believe that Jesus is God. I don't believe Jesus ever claimed to be God, said he was a God, and nowhere in the Bible does it say that Jesus is God. He's just a myth and folklore, a fairy tale, no different than Santa and his reindeer and his elves. And it's just, it's just something we tell our kids to be able to, to make them good, decent, moral people. He was a good guy who lived a long time ago, but I don't believe that he's God. Where does it say in the Bible? Bible that he's God. Well, let me tell you, in Matthew 1, in the first chapter, in the first book of the New Testament, it says his name is Emmanuel, God with us. It's right there. The only reason you don't believe he said it is because you don't read your Bible. In fact, it says it over and over again that Jesus emphatically, publicly, undeniably declared himself to be God. We have one story in the book of Mark where Jesus forgives sinners. Here's the story. There's a man who lowers their friend down. They cut a hole in the ceiling. What would you do to get your friend to Jesus? That's why we have so many leaks in our roof right now, by the way, because y'all just keep inviting your friends all the time, all right? Heart for the house, hashtag, right? But they lowered his, and here's what he said. He looked at him and said, son, your sins are forgiven. 
Now, when we hear this, we probably don't think much of it. But the religious leaders, they tore their coats. They were angry, indignant towards them. And here's what they respond to them. They point their finger and they say, say, who is this man? Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus is like, you got me. That's right, because Jesus declared himself to be God. Whenever the wise men came and worshiped him, we see that Jesus receives worship because here's what they say. It says that they brought him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They fell down before him and they worshiped him. Jesus receives worship. Why? Because he's God. And at the end of his life, whenever Thomas touches the hands and the feet of the nail, the crucified, resurrected Jesus, he falls on his knees. And here's what he says, my Lord and my God. He receives worship. He forgives sinners, but he's also perfect. How many of you could ever say that I'm perfect? Anybody? Raise your hand if you're perfect. Nobody except for Jesus, because Jesus was perfect. There's a story where the religious leaders were trying to set Jesus in a trap. And as he's publicly preaching and teaching, all of a sudden they begin to accuse him. And then he does this little Jesus jujitsu where he turns the tables on him. And he says this, he says, can anyone here convict me of a sin? Anybody in the room? Now, imagine that's you. If you were to get on Facebook and you posted, hey, can anybody convict me of a sin? I don't know about you, but I'd have 100 comments by lunch, right? Most of them would be coming from my wife, all right? (laughs) I remember. I thought love keeps no record of wrong, but she remembers them all. Um, But here's a big, long list. Anybody? Anybody? No. But then when Jesus asks, can anybody around here convict me of a sin? The religious leaders couldn't think of a thing and then they laid down their arguments and they walked away because nothing would stick why because Jesus is perfect and he is without sin now why is this so important well one because many people falsely think that Jesus was just a good man but he's not the God man no the Bible is very clear that Jesus is fully God the second member of the Trinity but here's why this matters because God didn't just shout his love from heaven but he shows his love on earth God could have just said, I'm God. You guys come to me. You guys make your way to me. You guys figure it out. You made your bed. You lie in it. You made your mess. That's your fault. I'm over here. You're down there. Good luck, buddy, trying to figure a way. God could have just shouted his love from heaven, but he showed his love here on earth because you couldn't make your way to him. God, in his mercy, his grace, his goodness, he made a way possible for you. He could have shouted his love from heaven, but he shows us his love here on earth. Number one, Jesus is God. Number two, Jesus is God with. Now, this is incredibly important because remember, the first thing is Jesus is God, right? He is the alpha, the omega, the first, the last, the beginning and the end, by him, to him, for him, through him. All things move and they have their being. We know that Jesus is God But when he comes and he reveals himself, he doesn't reveal himself in the way that you and I would. Like if you were God, how would you let the world know that you're God? I was working with a friend before I was a pastor. I was working at Tex-Mex restaurant. And um, he, he said, Byron, I would believe in God if he just showed up and said, here I am, I'm God. 
If he would just show himself to me. Anybody ever heard that? I believe in God. If he just, if he just showed himself to me, then I would believe. And I was like, well, you know, 2,000 years ago, he did that, and they still didn't believe. Because he didn't reveal himself in the way that we would think. If you were God, how would you let the world know you're God? I'll, I'll, I'll tell you how I would do it. I would show up one day, and I would be like, shazam, here I am. I'm God. Now, everybody, bow down before me, right? That's what I would do. I would, I would go on a tour. I would meet with, like, a president or a king, or I would go on TMZ. Maybe I would do a town hall on Twitter with Elon Musk. So everybody would know, here I am. I'm God. That's right. I am God in the flesh. Now, y'all worship me right now. That's what I would do. How many of you are glad I'm not God? Anybody? I'm glad you're not God either, all right? <laughs> but that's not what God does. Because our God doesn't come in riches. He comes in poverty. He doesn't come in glory. He comes in obscurity. He's not born in a palace. He's born in a manger. Because our God is unlike any other God. Because he's not just God. He's also God with. This is known as the doctrine of the incarnation. It means that Jesus is fully God and fully man. Augustine, the early church father, says that God added to his divinity humanity. He didn't lose his God-likeness, but he added to it humanity. Here's why. Hebrews says it like this. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet he was without sin. Or how Charles Spurgeon writes it like this, a God who never cried could never wipe away your tears. God gets it. God understands. God knows what it's like to be hungry. He knows what it's like to be tired. He knows what it's like to be tempted to suffer. He knows what it's like to have moments of despair or of grief. He knows what it's like to lose a loved one. Joseph was never mentioned after this in the Gospels. Why? Most likely because he passed away. And many of you, you're celebrating Christmas and there's an empty spot at the dining room table. Jesus knows what that's like. Jesus knows what it's like to lose a best friend. The shortest verse in the Bible is Jesus wept. He grieves as we grieve. He suffered as we suffered. Sure, Jesus had 12 disciples who were their friends, but one of his closest betrayed him. You've been betrayed. Jesus knows what it's like because he's not just God. He's also God with. And because he suffered as we suffered, as he grieves as we grieve, as he's been tempted, even as we have been tempted, he can overcome on our behalf. This is what separates Christianity from every other religion. Every other religion, by the way, people say all religions are the same. Not when it comes to Christmas. Because here's the thing. Every other religion say that you can become like God. You can be God. You can become a God. No other religion would ever say God would become a man. That's backwards. That's what you see on all their woke TikToks and your progressive new age, you know, beliefs that are so popular today. They're just like, God is within you. You're your own God. You can be a God. You're a goddess, slay queen. <laughs> you go, king, right? You're your own God. No, you're not. And the reason why your life is the way that it is is because you've been living as if you are. 
every other religion, ideology would say, oh, you can make your way to God. You know how I know the Bible is not made up? Because we wouldn't make up a story where we would say that God would become one of us. But why did he do it? Because he is God, but he's also God with. He understands. He gets it. If this Christmas is hard, Jesus understands. The first Christmas, he was born in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes in the middle of nowhere in an inn because no one even made room for him. He gets it. He understands. You are not alone. You are not abandoned. You are not forsaken. Why? Because at the end of Jesus' life, following his baptisms, here's what he says. He says, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Why? Because he is God. But importantly, he is God with, which leads to number three. Jesus is God with who? Us. Now, the question we have to ask is, who is the us in the story? Because what it doesn't say is his name will be Emmanuel, God with all. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say he is Emmanuel, God with everyone. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say he is Emmanuel, God in all. It's not what it says. What does it say? It says he is Emmanuel, God with us. Who is the us in the story? Well, I think in order to understand, first we need to recognize who it's not. As we looked in the earlier in the first sermon, it's not with Caesar. Not with the Roman Empire. Not with Herod. He's not with the religious elite. Nor with the wealthy nor with the ones who have it all together because they have no need for him. They've already think that they have the greatest gift ever. Things that they could buy, things they could earn, things that because of their pride, they believe they deserved. Who does he reveal himself to? Mary. An unwed, scared girl. Joseph, a blue-collar carpenter just trying to make a way for his family. Who does he reveal himself to? Shepherds, keeping watch their flock by night. Or, or magi, as we're going to look at next week. Who, who are they? They were Gentiles. They were not even Jewish. They were not even part of the chosen people of God. And yet, God revealed himself to them. Why is this so? There's a verse that says God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. The us is those who recognize their need for him. That God would love to care and to save everyone, anyone who calls upon his name shall be saved but only those who place their hope and trust and faith in Jesus as their Savior shall be saved. Only those who place their hope and trust and faith in Jesus shall be saved. 
He is God. He is God with. He is God with us. Here's what Ephesians writes. He says, For we are saved by grace through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is what? The gift of God. Every Christmas, what do we do? We give gifts, right? We give gifts. Why? Because we remember that at Christmas, we received the greatest gift. The greatest gift is God's grace for us. What is grace? Grace is undeserved, unearned favor from God. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. There's nothing you did to achieve it. All you have to do is to receive it. Here's why. Because grace is a gift that we receive, not something we achieve. You cannot earn it through your good works, through your good deeds. You cannot deserve it because of who you are or where you come from. It only comes from God as you place your faith in him. He gives you his grace. Grace is the greatest gift that we will ever receive because John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but will have everlasting life. Martin Luther, he calls this the great exchange, that God gives us himself, and what do we give God in return? Every Christmas, it's about giving gifts. And God has given you so much. He's given you grace and hope. He's extended his mercy, his salvation towards you. God gives you Jesus now, the question is, what do we give back to God? What does God want for Christmas? Have you thought about that yet? Or have you been running around to every holiday party, every Christmas decoration, every Black Friday sale, and every Jingle Bell Rock? Have you been running around everywhere trying to figure out what you're going to give to somebody else? Have you yet to take a time to pause and ask this question, God, what am I going to give to you? Have you thought about what God wants from you this Christmas? Have you slowed down long enough to consider not just what you receive, but what you can give? What does God want? Here's what I'll say. God gives his all to you, so that way you would give your all to him. God gives you his son. What should you give in response Give him yourself. Give him all of you. Not just some of you, not just part of you, not just the best of you, but the worst of you. Give him all of you. Hold nothing back. Total devotion, full surrender, saying, Jesus, I'm going all in. I'm giving you myself. I'm giving you my heart. I'm giving you my hope. I'm giving you my dreams. I'm giving you my marriage. I'm giving you my, my, my kids. I'm giving you my life because you have given yourself to me. God, I will wholly devote my self to you. God gives you his all. So what would you give in return? Give him all of you. This Christmas is going to look different for us at the Alice House. We're going to do something different than we've done before. Hey, baby. And last year, I have to be honest, I spent way too much money on my kids and on my families. And to be honest, I don't think they even remember. And I put myself in a really tight financial position. It actually hurt our family at the beginning of the year because I was foolish when it came to my, my money. 
And then we started Multiply in March and we did a teaching around the subject of stewardship and generosity. And we had to make some decisions in our family. And one of the decisions that we made is that this Christmas would be different. And so while, yes, my kids are still gonna have gifts under the tree, my daughter's on the front row, so shh, don't tell her what she got. It's gonna look different and we've already discussed this. Instead of presents, what I wanna give my kids this year is presents. And so we're gonna do something different because this year I've been not the most present dad because a lot of what's going on in my life and in the church, I have traveled a lot this year and I haven't been available for my wife and for my family the way that I should be. And so as we get closer to the end of the year, I needed to do some course correction in my life. And so what we decided to do is instead of presence, we're gonna focus on presence. And so there's a, a friend of ours, they have um, some property um, on a beach. And so they've loaned it to us for the week. And so what we're doing is we actually are just gonna go drive and just go spend a week. No iPhones, no iPads, no distractions, just mom, dad, and our kids over Christmas to really just be present together. Because what matters most is the memories we share and the memories we have. That's what matters most in this season. What did Mary have? She had nothing. What did Joseph have? Nothing. What did the shepherds have? Nothing. What did the wise men have? They gave their gifts. What did God give them? God gave them his presence. God with us. And so for many of us, we make Christmas about things rather than realizing that it's about the King of kings and the Lord of lords who gave his life for us. So this Christmas is gonna look different for us because we're gonna focus on God's presence rather than just all of the things that are around us. And here's why this matters, because God is your Father in heaven. He loves you. He's your, he's your heavenly Father. And what does God most want? He gave you His presence. He wants you to be in His presence. Emmanuel, God with us. In order for God to be with you, you must desire to be with Him. Do you long to be with God this Christmas? Do you long to make room for God in your heart this Christmas? Do you long to center yourself with Christ this Christmas? Do you want to celebrate the season for the right reason? And go back to the beginning. Go back to that vintage Christmas 2,000 years ago with a baby in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes, with the wise men and the shepherds, with Mary beholding Jesus. They had nothing, and yet at the same time, they had everything. Because they had Emmanuel. 